It takes genuine, authentic, credible faith to say this, that I will live a consecrated life, separated from the world around me, in order that I might be Christ-like in purpose and in mindset. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Romans chapter 12. If you're with us regularly on a Sunday morning, you'll be aware that we've been working our way through the book of Romans, and we're coming this morning to the second section, or the second half, more accurately, of Romans 12, and it begins at verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes these words. Sorry, you'll find it on page 1764 of the Church Bible. And Paul writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, excuse me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. As this is Valentine's weekend, I thought it would be helpful to begin with some Valentines today. And the first Valentine is to those of us who are vegetarians, which is a little unusual, but here it comes. My love is like a cabbage, divided into two. The leaves I give to others, the heart I give to you. Not too shabby for a vegetarian, I think that's just fine. Second one is entitled, Going Steady. Valentine, oh Valentine, I'll be your love and you'll be mine. We'll care for each other, rain or fine, and in 90 years, we'll be 99. <laughs> That's okay for a nine-year-old, I'll accept that. And the final Valentine is entitled, Hindsight. I said to you, oh, please be mine. Be mine forever, Valentine. I must have seemed like quite a fool, although I thought I was being cool. 
I swore that we would never part. As I put my hand upon my heart, had I been thinking with my head, I probably would have fled instead. <laughs> when I was preparing this series of studies for a Sunday morning, I did not realize that when we come to February 15th, we'd be looking at a passage in the book of Romans where the subtitle is love. And that's exactly where we are this morning as we come to verses 9 through 21. And Paul begins with those first four words, love must be sincere. And everything else in our study this morning flows from those four first words. Love must be sincere. If you've been with us over the last couple of Sundays, you will be aware that when we moved from Romans chapter 11 into Romans 12, the focus of the Apostle Paul's writing changed and changed dramatically. The first 11 chapters in Romans is about the individual's relationship with God. It focuses on His redeeming work, His love and His grace for us, His children. And it contains some of the most profound theological writing to be found anywhere in the Scriptures. For me, Romans 1 to 11 is unequaled anywhere in all of the Scriptures. It is remarkable, the richness of what Paul describes for us there. And if those first 11 chapters have been focused on salvation, chapters 12 through 16, as some of you know, if you were with us last Sunday, the focus changes from salvation to service. Those first 11 chapters, the relationship was vertical. These chapters are about horizontal, and he moves from salvation to service. And if you thought last Sunday morning was challenging, this week is worse. The passage in front of us contains some of the most convicting words in all of Scripture. And if you're ever tempted to say, Richard, on a Sunday morning, sometimes you go so deep that it goes over my head, not this morning. If you have a seatbelt with you, buckle up. There is a lot coming this morning. And it begins with those four words, love must be sincere. The Apostle Paul, as you know, is writing to the church in Rome. Last Sunday morning, we said at the beginning of chapter 12 that he is calling us quite intentionally to a consecration and a consecrated lifestyle. And consecrated lifestyle basically means this a radical separation from a secular view to a Christ-like purpose and mindset. Now, let me say that again because there was a lot packed in there. A consecrated life is a radical separation from a secular view to a Christ-like purpose and mindset. And throughout the morning, you will hear me say, that He calls us never to act naturally, but to act supernaturally. And we'll get to that section as we come to the end this morning. 
But meanwhile, still at the beginning, Paul is writing to the folks in Rome. Sizable church in downtown Rome, possibly. May not even have its own building yet. By sizable, I might mean 100, 150 people. And there are folks meeting all throughout the city of Rome in small groups, 20 here, 15 there, 30 the next place, as the gospel has impacted and transformed lives. And Paul, in writing to them about the wonderful purposes of God's redeeming love, is now saying that when you live a consecrated Christ-like life, others will want to know what has happened in your life. Paul is saying to those who are living in Rome, they're looking for credibility. They're looking for authenticity. They're starving for real, direct, warm, gracious lives that have been transformed by the love and grace and majesty and wonder of the gospel. And there's an attraction about the Christian life when it is lived in a consecrated fashion. And Paul knows that the folks there in Rome had the opportunity to influence who? Senators, lawmakers, military leaders, the bureaucrats who organize and run the entire empire, along with not just the nobility of Rome, but slaves and servants and ordinary everyday people as well. And his call in chapter 12 is to live for Christ in such a manner that it impacts others and they see in you authentic Christian living. And that gives us the context. And so, he begins, verse 9, love must be sincere. Now, what does that mean? How do we begin to apply that? Let me give you a reasonable definition, or at least a working definition of love in the Christian life. Love means this, always seeking the good of someone else. Fairly simple, but not straightforward. Love is about seeking the good for someone else. Now, if you imagine love as a coin, of course it has two sides. And love at times must be firm. Love doesn't look the other way. Love is not always about making the other person comfortable. Sometimes love is tough and firm. Sometimes it doesn't allow others to have what they want when they want it. Some of us who have children and grandchildren will know that when we have wee ones around the house, there are things we tell them not to do. Don't touch the fire, it will burn. And of course, you know what happens, they can't wait to then touch it, and then they learn. And we love them, so we don't want them to go through that pain. So for them, it seems tough, don't touch. But for us, we know it's for their good. That's a fairly simple analogy. But love will not look the other way. Times it has to be firm, and stern, and tough. And yet we also know the other side of that love that must be sincere is this, that love is also tender, compassionate, 
It has empathy in there as well. It is marked by forgiveness and grace. Love must be sincere. In fact, the Greek in the New Testament puts it this way, love is unhypocritical. Unhypocritical. In other words, love will not look away. It won't pretend it didn't happen when it did. Love, I think another helpful analogy, is like a river. It flows fast and runs deep, but there are banks on either side that are truth. Love without truth is emotion. And when emotion overflows its banks, it becomes messy for everyone. Love must be sincere. It's not about theater. It's not about wearing a mask. It's not about pretense. Tough and tender together. That's the point Paul is making. When it's tough and tender together, it becomes a radical separation from a secular view to a Christ-like lifestyle with a purpose and a mindset. Love must be sincere. And then he goes further. Hate that which is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. And if you think that has been hard, notice what he does next. He rushes us on from one biblical principle to another. And he writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There is so much just jammed in there. We could be here for an hour and wouldn't do justice to it. Never be lacking in zeal. Recently, I watched someone play the piano technically brilliant. They understood every note. So well done. But it wasn't their ability to read the notes and play that captured my mind. It was the passion involved. They knew this piece inside out. Their mind was soaring. Their eyes were shut as they were caught up in the music. That's the picture Paul is giving us here. Don't give up on zeal for the Lord. Live a Christ-like lifestyle, utterly different from those around you. Let others see Christ in you. Be passionate about Him. Let them see authenticity and credibility and the real thing. That's what he's saying right here. And then he adds patience. I often find myself frustrated in saying, Lord, give me patience now, today, this morning. Is that patience? Notice what else he says. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. How do we become patient in affliction when dark and difficult and demanding days come our way? We hand it over to Him. And we say, Father, I can't deal with this. I don't know how to respond. Please 
Come, help me, show me, refine me, enable me, strengthen me to be able to live that consecrated, Christ-like lifestyle. Be with me in the midst of all of this. Patience and affliction comes from where? Hope knowing that He will never give up on us or surrender us or walk away from us or desert us in our moment of greatest need, comes from hope. We can live for about seven days without water, about two to three minutes without air, but not long without hope. And that's the beauty and the glory of the gospel. We keep going, we persevere, because we know He is at the center of it. We may not always understand what He's doing and wish it was otherwise, but He's there. And then He adds, faithful in prayer. The secret of growth in the Christian life begins and ends in prayer. The secret of any lasting marriage has prayer at the center of it so much richer, so much fuller when Christ is at the center of a marriage, faithful in prayer. Last November, the wee girl who lives across the street, and I mentioned her to you once or twice before, her name is Grace. She's about this size. She's blonde and the cutest thing in the world. She broke her arm, her right arm, her parents phoned me and said, you'll never believe what happened. She's broken her arm. And she's lying here watching her favorite movie. Uh, and she's feeling terribly sorry for herself. If you have a moment, come over and see her. And so I went over to see her. And of course, she's lying there watching the Disney movie Frozen on the TV. And of course, her parents paused it when I came in. And she's lying there feeling really sorry for herself. And she's sniffing in her little lip is out at the bottom. And I said, Grey, what happened? And she said, I've broken my arm. I said, oh dear, can I give your hand a little kiss? Oh no, it's broken. It's so sore. I said, okay. I said, can I pray for you? There was a pause. And she looked at me and she said, can you pray in your own house? I'm watching Frozen. <laughs> A four-year-old has that wonderful ability just to let you know how important you are in their lives. <laughs> Faithfulness in prayer. We know the reality of it. We know the challenge of it. And look at verse 14, and then I'm going to jump to verse 18 because there's just so much in 15 and 16 and 17 we're just not going to cover. But verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And I want to link 14 and 18 together, and I hope you'll see the connection. And he writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, when we read them on a Sunday morning, we think, yeah, that's good. Christian folks should be doing that. But let me go a little further. What if you find yourself in an office environment when someone in your office just cannot stand the sight of you, and regardless of what you've done or how you've behaved towards them, they still cannot 
stand you. Or maybe some of you can think back to your college days when there was someone like that in your class or a professor you just couldn't get on with. And in the messiness of everyday life, how do you respond to that? Maybe it's an next-door neighbor. Maybe it's someone who has hurt you. Former husband, a wife, a child, a grandparent, school teacher who put you down when you were younger and said you would never amount to anything. How do you respond? Well, let me give you four principles that come out of this passage, and then we will look at applying these principles. Number one, deliberately resist your natural instinct. Deliberately resist your natural instinct. Number two, consciously fight every temptation to get even. Consciously fight every temptation to get even. Number three, hand it over to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. How do these principles fit with our passage? Look at it again. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then verse 18, and this is where I want to finish up this morning. If it is possible, as far as you, excuse me, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, what I'm about to say in the next four or five minutes, you will be tempted to say again and again, Richard, I understand these biblical principles. I see them in the passage. But if you only knew the guy that was in my office, you would say, oh, it's a unique situation. These principles don't apply to you. Biblical principles are exactly that, biblical principles. And that's why this passage of Scripture is one of the most convicting and challenging you will find anywhere, because the temptation is to think they don't apply to me. Some of us, before we get to the parking lot and put our key in our car, will say, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. It's, this isn't for me. When you are wounded, when you are hurt, and when you see the individual who has caused you pain, often your instinctive response is to hurt them in return and to do it at a greater level. But the Scripture calls us not to respond naturally but to respond supernaturally. Love must be sincere. Do not repay evil for evil. Bless those who have persecuted you. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
consciously fight the temptation to get even. All of those thoughts you had first thing in the morning or last thing at night, or wait till I see her, or wait till I see him, or I'm going to tell it. No. No. Thirdly, hand it over to the Lord. And if mentally it will help you this morning, whatever the grief, whatever the wound, whatever the hurt, whatever someone has said about you or done to you, bring it here this morning in front of the communion table and leave it there. Because the temptation will be this, that when we close this morning and we're leaving the church, the temptation for you will come by very quietly while no one's watching and just pick it up and carry it home. The next door neighbor, the college professor, the person in my office, someone at work. I heard, she said, he did, she did. And finally, here is the final challenge and the fourth principle. It requires you to let it go. It requires you to let it go. You have a choice this morning. It's not an easy choice. None of this passage is easy, but you have a choice. Where will your focus be for the rest of this month, and into March, and into April, and May, and June, and July? How are you going to respond to the challenge of this passage? Are you going to hold on to it and nurse that grievance and feed it and live with it? Are you ready to let it go? Move from grief to grace and leave it with the Lord. That's the challenge before us. We started this morning, love must be sincere. It takes genuine, authentic, credible faith to say this, that I will live a consecrated life, separated from the world around me, in order that I might be Christ-like in purpose and in mindset. The choice is before us. As far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Father, it seems in recent days there has never been a passage that has been so convicting, so speaking to us in our own situation, and yet each Sunday we feel like that. And we feel like that because you are a God of grace, deeply in love with your children, a God whose deepest longing is that we might be holy and pure, willing to live for you, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping our spiritual fervor, serving you, being devoted to one another. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit. Father, help us, please, to live with this passage in the coming week, 
to apply it to our lives and to live lives radically separated from the world around and be Christ-like in purpose and mindset. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each day, 6,200 children die from hunger. But there's hope thanks to Feed My Starving Children and volunteers like you. Help us turn hunger into hope on April 24th and 25th at First Presbyterian's Grains of Grace Mobile Pack event. Our goal is to pack 275,000 life-saving meals for hungry children around the world. Sign up today or donate at firstpresgreenville.org.